Okay, this is Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This has been our passage for the month, uh, our Advent passage, as we've tried to prepare our hearts for Christmas. We've looked at those those titles of Jesus to specifically say who is this child who has been born, this son who has been given. We looked at Jesus as a wonderful counselor, the one who plans and executes miracles or great things to deliver his people. Jesus is mighty God, the divine warrior who overcomes our true enemies of sin, Satan, and death. Jesus as the everlasting father, that is our good shepherd who takes care of us forever. And today we're going to look at Jesus as the prince of peace. Now for many of us, when we hear that phrase, Prince of Peace, when you think about peace, we tend to think of inner calm and tranquility. And there is some truth to that, but I want us to look beyond that. Um, Here's a couple of verses that speak to that calm, uh, inner calm, tranquility that most of us think of when we think of Jesus as the Prince of Peace. He promises. He said, don't don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. I'm going to give you my peace. And so that's, yes, there's truth there. You see there, Philippians 4, that's kind of a step-by-step from Paul. Don't be anxious. So if you're experiencing circumstances that are causing anxiety, what do you do? You pray about those things. You invite God to get involved. That's what prayer is. It's not information. It's an invitation to get involved. So this is creating anxiety for me. God, I'm inviting you to get involved. And what are the results of prayer? What are the results of inviting God to get involved? Is his peace fills your heart. Paul doesn't say anything about what God's going to do in the external circumstances because he doesn't know. That's, that's God's purview, not ours. But what Paul does know is when you invite God to get involved, his peace will fill your heart. So there is that element of inner calm and tranquility when we say Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But remember, in our passage, Isaiah is looking for a king. He's not looking for a therapist. And so when he says the Prince of Peace, he's thinking of royalty And I think he's thinking of a much bigger concept. It includes this, but it's much bigger than this. And I want to talk about the much bigger than this morning. You probably understand this inner calm and tranquility a little bit better. So I want to talk about some, this broader sense of what it means for Jesus to be the Prince of Peace. That word peace in the Old Testament is a huge word. It's a huge concept. You may have heard the Hebrew word. It's shalom, S-H-A-L-O-M. And it means so much more than inner calm or tranquility. It means so much more than the absence of conflict. It's a, it's a state of being. It's more than a feeling. It's a state of being, a state of well-being, a state of harmony in every area of life. You can see some synonyms up there. Those are other ways shalom is translated in the Old Testament that really speak to the fullness of this word, completeness, maturity, prosperity, security, all of those wholeness, All of those things. That's what Jesus is the prince of all of that. Jesus is the prince of shalom. He's not just the prince of a calm uh, spirit or an inner tranquility. So how does a king go about making that stuff happen? How does a king promote those types of things? In my mind, as I was thinking about it, a king promotes those types of things by making the borders of his territory secure. If, there's, if, if, if my borders are secure, if I'm confident that I'm not going to be attacked, I'm not going to be harassed, 
then that creates an environment where all of those things can happen. That creates that state of well-being and harmony for me in every relationship. Israel's a small country, and Israel is constantly under the threat of being attacked and is routinely invaded. If you read through the Old Testament, there are tons of battles. Some of them Israel starts. Many of them, they're just responding to people. They're a very small nation, but they're very strategically placed. And so other countries are constantly looking to take them over. It's hard in that setting to say, yeah, I'm experiencing shalom. I'm experiencing complete well-being and security and, and harmony in all of my relationships. Because you're always worried. So for a king, prince of peace, remember, look back at our passage in Isaiah. It's all about what he's doing to these enemies. He's taking care of them. He's establishing these borders so his people can be safe and secure in the midst of the fences that he's building for them, if you like that picture better. And I think that's a good one for us. So when we think about Jesus as the prince of peace, I want you to think about him as one who establishes your borders, personally. He's someone who, is st- who deals with your enemies. We talked about some, that when we talked about mighty God. And he establishes the borders for you so that you're safe and secure. So what exactly does that look like? This is Revelation 5. Let me give you two pictures. Then one of the elders said, don't weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. Jesus is both the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he's a lion of the tribe of Judah. And I think that speaks to him securing our borders. He secures them vertically as the lamb, and he secures them horizontally as the lion. You may not think of God as your enemy, and God is not your enemy, but listen to this passage from Romans 5 what it says about our posture towards God before Jesus. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by Jesus' blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Jesus? For if while we were God's enemies, if for if while we were God's enemies, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through the life of Jesus? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That phrase three times I read. We are enemies. We need somebody to make peace, to reconcile. We're not, there's no shalom between us and God. Because of our sin, it's, it's brought us into, it's damaged our relationship, separated us from him to the point that Paul says we're enemies of God. And we need someone who can mediate, someone who can reconcile, someone who can bring peace. And that's what Jesus does. This, is, this idea, Prince of Peace, is where Christmas and Easter come together. Christmas and Good Friday really come together. Jesus' death makes peace with God possible. There are lots of ways to think about sin. There are lots of ways to think about the cross, and they're all good. I'm going to focus strictly on it relationally this morning, so I'm going to leave some things out. I'm just going to look at it from a relational lens. I want you to picture somebody in your mind. Think of someone who right now you would say, I'm thriving with this person. We have a great relationship. Somebody in your family, a friend, someone in your office, 
who right now in your mind are you thinking, I've got a great relationship with this person? And I want you to imagine this week that person wrongs you significantly. Not something that you can just forget about. Whether that, whatever that would be for you, if it's, if it's cheating, if it's uh, talking bad about you to other people, if it's spreading things that you've told them in confidence, whatever for you would be a devastating blow. I want you to imagine that that were to happen this week between that you and that person who you're saying, I've got a great relationship with them. That's going to cause some distance for y'all. It's going to hurt your relationship. It's going to cost. And in order for y'all to be reconciled, that wrong has to be dealt with in some way. Again, this is a bigger thing. You can't just pretend it didn't happen. You can't just forget about it and move on. This is a significant breach of trust. Again, it costs you in the relationship, and that has to be addressed or you can't move forward. And you only have two choices. When there's a wrong that's been done, there's only two ways of dealing with it. One is through mercy, which is forgiveness, which says, you owe me, but I'm not going to make you pay. And the other is justice, which is retaliation, which says, I'm going to get even. I'm going to pay you back. We're going to settle the score. Those are your only two options in dealing with this wrong. If you want to move forward relationally, you've got to deal with this wrong that's caused separation. And there's only two ways to deal with it. One is through mercy, which is forgiveness. The other is through justice, which is retaliation. We're tempted to do the retaliation piece. It's an eye for an eye. But we never pay back an eye for an eye. We always pay back with interest. It's an eye plus an ear or something like that. It's what we do. If, if I were to hit Bo in the face, that would be wrong. And that would, that's a sin that would cause him to step back from me, and rightfully so. It would damage our relationship. So in that moment, Bo has a choice. He can choose mercy or he can choose justice, forgiveness, or retaliation. If he says, well, now you owe me, so you hit me, so I get to hit you back. So Bo hits me back. What are the chances that he's going to hit me with the exact same amount of force? very small. What are the chances he's going to hit me in the same place? What are the chances it's going to do the same amount of damage? Zero. It's not going to happen. And even if some miraculous way it does happen, we won't know. Because I don't know what it's like to be hit by me, and Bo doesn't like know what it's like to be hit by him. If somebody lies about you, what's the response? You lie about them? You tell the exact same? Like, it doesn't work. If Bo comes back at me, then I'm going to say, you hit me harder than I hit you. And so then I'm going to go back at him. And then he's going to go back at me. And then I'm going to go back at him. It's a cycle of humanity from the beginning of time, individually and collectively. It's what we do. That's why Jesus says, turn the other cheek. It's the only way to stop the cycle of retaliation. Seeking justice like that, it just doesn't work. God's the only one who can dispense justice perfectly and righteously we're incapable of doing it and so if he's going to try to do eye for eye with me if i'm going to try to do that with him it's not going it's not going to draw us back together those of you who are married how many times has that ever worked for you in your marriage to do an eye for an eye with your spouse it never has has it they do something wrong and you say i'm going to you you owe me how well does that go over you owe me It doesn't. It creates a cycle. And somebody at some point has to say, I'm done. You owe me and I'm not going to make you pay me back. That's forgiveness. That's mercy. That's the only way. 
to bring about reconciliation. And that's what the cross says to us. The only way, if I hit Bo, the only way that we have a chance at moving forward relationally is if Bo bears the, the cost. If Bo says, you know what, you've done me wrong. I'm not going to take it out on you. I'm not going to try to settle the score. I'm not going to pay back. I'm just going to take it. It's not fair. I'm the one that did something wrong. Bo got hurt, and then Bo has to say, for the sake of relationship, I'm going to bear the cost of this. That's what the cross is. God didn't sin against us. We sinned against him. He's never moved away from us. We've moved away from him. And the cross says, I'm bearing the price. I'm I'm paying the price. I'm bearing the cost for what you've done. It's this picture of God said, this is what I've done. I'm reconciling the world to myself through the death of my son, showing you this is it. There's There's a breach here. And I'm the one who's been wronged, God's saying. And I'm the one who's bearing the price, bearing the cost, paying the price for that. That's one of the things that Good Friday says to us. Jesus is reconciling, God is reconciling the world to himself through the death of his son in those moments. And so for us, the only response is, okay, I accept. Sometimes we do that initially. We recognize on some initial level, my debt is too great, and so, Jesus, you're going to have to forgive me. But moving forward, when we sin, sometimes we think, well, I've got to, I've got to pay it off. I've got to do some good to balance out the bad. It's not a Christian way of thinking at all. Moving forward in your life with God, however, whatever the, the sins are that you commit along the way, the response is always... You've got to forgive me. Thank you for not doing an eye for an eye. Thank you for that. And you, I, I just need you to forgive me. I confess I've blown it again. And I can't make up for it. The good things that I may do on Tuesday don't cancel out the bad things that I did on Monday. It's receiving his mercy. Jesus made peace for us possible through his death. That's vertical, horizontal. We've talked about already. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He fights on our behalf. He overcomes sin. He overcomes Satan. He overcomes death. Those are our real enemies. We won't spend any more time on that, but I was thinking about this idea of Jesus making the boundary safe for us or secure for us. It reminded me of Israel back in Joshua, the book of Joshua, the first 12 chapters. You don't need to worry about what any of that says. I just wanted you to see the pictures. So God in the first 12 chapters says, take the land. Here's Canaan. Take it. And then in the second half, from chapter 13 to chapter 21, he starts dividing it up. It's brutal to read unless you're a surveyor. There's nothing interesting in there. You got from this river to this hill to this tree. But for those people, like, it is their inheritance. That's what God is giving them. He's giving them literally literal dirt. This is your spot for your tribe and for your clan and for your family. And then what people would do is they put those boundary stones up to mark their territory. It's a wild and woolly land, and how do I know what's mine and what's Bo's? I put a boundary stone out. Deuteronomy 19 says you don't move that. You don't go around moving somebody's boundary stones, because if you do, you're stealing from them. If I move into Bo's territory, then I've taken something that God has given to Bo. Don't do that. Deuteronomy 19 says don't. Some, I think it's later in Deuteronomy, cursed is anyone who moves someone else's boundary stones. It's a strong word, cursed is anyone who does that. God takes it very seriously when we start monkeying around with the property lines. 
that he's given to people because what he's given them is it's him. Here's your inheritance. Here's what I'm giving to you. We don't have the right to go in and start messing around with that kind of stuff. Now, spiritually, we live in a time where God continues to, he, he parcels out to us spiritually. This is Psalm 16, 5 and 6. Lord, you've assigned my portion in my cup. You've made my lot secure. There's that kind of tie back into physical land. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And so my question for you this morning is, is that, can you say that? Can you say that about yourself? If Jesus helps, if part, he's the prince of peace, he, this prince of shalom. So what he wants to do in your life is to establish, we're going to call them secure boundaries for you, some fences. And within that fence, you can run as hard and fast and free as you want. The issue is if we start trying to move the fence. We can ask him to move it all day long. We do that. We did that at the beginning of this Advent. We said, write down on a card, where's something that, what's something that you want God to change in your life? That can be seen as moving the fences. But there's a difference between saying, God, I want you to change this, and me saying, you know what, I'm going to take it upon myself to do this. I'm going to move the boundary stones. I don't like where these boundary lines have fallen. They're not very pleasant for me. That's a question for you. Would you say, yeah, I can, I can say that. I can put that on my Christmas card when I think about my life. This is John 21, a different way of looking at this. So this is the very end of Jesus. This, Jesus has died. He's been raised back to life. He's spending some time with his disciples that are on a beach. So when they, Jesus and some of his disciples, had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. The second time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because John asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? Peter looked at him and said, Lord, what about him? Jesus said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. You see what Peter's doing. He's saying, I don't like my boundary lines. It's not, what about John? That's who he's referring to. Jesus says, here's the thing for you, Peter. You're going to take care of my sheep. You were a free man when you were young. You're going to be arrested when you're old. It's not going to end well for you. You're not, your death is not going to, it's going to be hastened. Someone is, you're going to be arrested, and it kind of leads into this idea that he's going to be martyred. And what Peter wants to know is, well, what about John? Is the same thing going to happen to him? And what Jesus says is, it's none of your business. What happens with John has nothing to do with your responsibility, which is to follow me. Paul, several times in his letters, talks about running a race. Run the race set before you. I'm running the race that God's put in front of me. I want to finish the race that God has charted for me. It's this idea that God has a course for each of us. And we've got to run it. But we're tempted 
to look over at somebody else's and say, I like their course better than mine. So we want to jump lanes or to go back to our picture. I like their life better than mine, so I'm going to move my boundary stones. I'm going to move my boundary lines a little bit. You see that here with Peter. What Jesus says is you can't know. It doesn't matter what's going on in their life. What matters is you follow me. When it comes to our personal life, we're usually tempted to expand our boundary lines. There's a bit of a grasping there. I see somebody who has more than me in some way. They have more money than me, or they have a better family situation than me, or they've got, they live in a better neighborhood than me. There's something about their life that I want, and it's usually because it it's, can fit under the umbrella of more. And so I'm tempted to move my boundary stones out. I want to grasp that. Always gets me in trouble. It's Abraham and Sarah with Hagar. You're going to have a son. Just wait. 12, 13 years later, they haven't had one. And Sarah says, let's you take Hagar and have a son through her. And Abraham does. And it creates all kinds of problems in the family between Hagar and Sarah, between her son Ishmael and Sarah's son Isaac. And even moving on to the, some people would say the whole Jewish-Arab conflict is rooted in that one choice that Abraham and Sarah made however many thousands of years ago. So for uh, there's this grasping. Again, it's fine to say, God, move my fences. And as he leads you, it's fine to follow him. What's not fine is to say, God, I really don't like what's going on, and so I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to move my boundary lines. You're not treating me well. And so I'm going to, I'm going to move the fences out a little bit. I'm going to jump and run in somebody, other, somebody else's lane. It's not fair. It's not right. However we justify those things, it's a very fine line that runs through your heart, and you just have to really hear the Lord, his discernment. God, am I, am I asking you to move fences and moving forward how you're leading me, or am I doing it on my own? When it comes to ministry or service, we tend to bring our boundary lines in. We tend to bring the the boundary stones in a little bit, whether it's fear or laziness or selfishness or busyness. For whatever reason, when it comes to getting for my life, I want more. When it comes to giving my life away, I say, let me shrink the amount my responsibility there. And what that does is that creates gaps. So I pull my boundary stones in, and that leaves a gap between my area and Bo's area, this wild and woolly place where weeds grow and it's not productive, it's not fruitful. You can look probably in the places where you move every day, and you can see nobody's tending to those areas. People have pulled in their boundary stones. Nobody's taking responsibility for that patch of dirt. Nobody's seeking the kingdom to come in that area. There's no, there's no fruit there. It's because most likely somebody's pulled in their boundary stones when it comes to service, ministry, giving their life away. It's a temptation for us. For sure it is. And so I don't know if that, how that sits for you. I'm not, the need is not the call. The call is. And so it's this sense of, God, what are you calling me to do? Who am I responsible for? What am I responsible for? And what does it look like for me to be faithful in those areas? doesn't mean every time there's a need you've got to jump on it. But sometimes you will. And it absolutely means that you need to live with your eyes open. God, where are you at work? And how do you want me to cooperate with you? That's recognizing the fences. Where, where do you move Monday through Friday? And then asking God in the midst of all of that, where are you at work in these situations? 
And what does it look like for me to cooperate with you? That's recognizing the boundary lines that God has laid, put down for you. What are the gifts that God has given you? Are you using them? Your spiritual gifts and your natural talents. What are the resources that God has given to you? Are you using those things? Or is that where you tend to bring the boundary lines in pretty tight? What are you doing with your money? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your relationships? Some of you have an idea a minute. Most of them are terrible. Some of them are awesome. Do you ever grab on to those and say, this is, there's something here. What do you do with that? Do you just say, when I retire, somebody else? Like, what's the, what do you do? do you, don't pull those boundary stones in. We need you. He's put you in a spot. And he said, here they are. Here's the territory that's yours, and nobody gets to encroach upon it. So you run hard, and you run fast, and you run free, and you can make mistakes, but there's going to be fruitfulness here. This is the umbrella under which you're operating, if you like that picture better. Let's pray. Two things I want you thinking about. One, vertically, would you say right now, I'm at peace with God? It's a yes or no question. I'm not asking if you're a Christian. I'm asking if you would say right now at 1223, are you at peace with God? If the answer is yes, bless you. If the answer is no, do you want to be? Simple. You can follow along in your own heart. Again, I'm not asking if you're a Christian. I'm asking if you sense peace with God this morning. Do you know you're in a right relationship with him? God, my desire is to be at peace with you, to live at peace with you, and I know your desire is to do the same. The cross is a picture that while I was still your enemy, while I was still ungodly, you died for me to make reconciliation possible. And so this morning at 1224, I say, I receive what you've done for me, Jesus. I'm not going to try to justify the places where I've missed it. I'm not going to try to convince you of why I'm worth it. I'm not going to tell you all the great things that I've done. I recognize I've sinned against you, and you have chosen to bear the burden, to pay the price for my sin. And in humility and thankfulness, I accept. For many of you, you would say, yeah, I'm living at peace with God. I've got right relationship there. So when you think about your boundary lines, this lion of the tribe of Judah, he's taking care of your enemies. He's taking care of sin. He's taking care of Satan. He's taking care of death. So there's nothing for you to be afraid of at all. There's nothing in your garden that you need to worry about. He's already taken care of everything that can eternally damage you. He said, nobody, nothing can snatch you out of my hand. Nothing can separate you from my love. All of those significant enemies, the lion has already defeated. 
So can you say, my borders are secure and they're in pleasant places. Think about your personal life. I'm not saying, do you never want to see things changed? Put that out of your head. What I'm asking is, are you grasping? Are you grasping for something you see in somebody else's garden? Are you looking longingly at somebody else's lane, saying, I want to run theirs? race. I'm sick and tired of running mine. That's a prayer point for you, God. Talked last week, you're a good shepherd. You take care of your people forever. You're this prince of shalom. If you're moving your boundary stones, you're never going to have shalom. You're going to be operating outside of God's desires for you. That's going to cut off his resources to you. It creates, on one hand, if you're grasping, it creates stress and anxiety. If you've shrunk your boundaries in, it creates boredom. So to say, God, I confess, I'm, I'm envious, I'm covetous, or I'm just tired, and their life looks a whole lot better than mine. I need you to give me grace. Prince of Peace. Show me that the boundary lines for me have been placed in pleasant places. Show me. I'm not sure I believe it right now. I need you to show me. Think about your job. Some of you are miserable at work. Doesn't mean you can't pray for a new job. Doesn't mean you can't look for one. But in your heart, are you trying to move the fence? very well be. I don't want you to hear this as condemnation at all. I was thinking particularly around the work situation. Some of you, you moved the fence a while ago, and that's why you're miserable. It's nothing about what you're doing now. You moved it a while ago for whatever reason. But you don't need to say, well, I made my bed. I've got to lie in it. I'm reaping what I sowed. God makes all things new. God works all things together for good. God can redeem anything. It's just recognize. God, three years ago, five years ago, 25 years ago, I didn't run the race that you had for me. I pursued money or I pursued a family deal instead of whatever it was. What was easy. And what I'm saying to you now is, I want the boundary lines for my professional life. I'm asking you to mark those things out. And I don't know how to get out of where I am to get there. But I'm giving you permission, God. You move the boundary stones back to the right place. Whatever I've got to do to cooperate, I'm in. What about ministry, service, where you're giving your life away? Would you say, yeah, those boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I want you to think about whether you've squeeze those lines in too tight out of fear or busyness or apathy or whatever lack of confidence you recognize not in a heavy way the relationships that God has said you get to invest in these people you get to influence them you recognize the places where you live and move and where God says you, you've got you have authority here spiritually 
this neighborhood. You have authority in this office. You have authority in this realm, the government or education or entertainment, whatever that is. Do you, do you, do you hear him saying that? And can you say to him, God, I want to live my, my calling out fully. All of the good works that you've created for me to do, I want to say yes to every one of them. Forgive me for shrinking in my boundary stones when it comes to how you want to use me to bless and serve others. you got to help me. I give you permission to move them back out, but you've got to help me. I'm scared to death. I feel inadequate. I don't have time. It's overwhelming, whatever it is. But I'm giving you permission to redraw the lines. God, I pray for everyone in the room our 14-year-olds all the way up. God, I pray that each one of us is, could say with full confidence, the boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places.